Welcome to Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. I'm Tracy Brown, the fraud-busting body language expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion-dollar business deals. And I want you to be able to tell whose pants are on fire, make better decisions, and build your bottom line as well. Get ready. Let's dive in. It's Tracy, and I am back again with what I know is going to be a fascinating interview, uh, not only with our guest today, Vince Pacente, but also um, oh, good Lord, just woman. chatting with Alex. Did you super, think you were going to sneak that in without me knowing? Super producer Alex. <laughs> <laughs> who, I'm going to have to punk you on the head. <laughs> who apparently has been living a double life, and I did not know it. <laughs> um, I don't know anything about this. Exactly. Number one <laughs> sign of deception, right? So, who are we interviewing today? Vince Pacente, friend of mine, and he was in the front row when Salman Rushdie was attacked in New York and uh, with the stabbing. Yeah, it was just last year, wasn't it? It was last year. Yeah, uh-huh. and he, uh, his, he's going to tell us exactly what he did to uh, subdue this attacker, and but more importantly, I think it's about how. He took care of himself because he found himself with a nasty case of PTSD. You know, as somebody who has had some experience with that, this is going to be a fascinating interview. But uh, what what got me in your description there is that he was one of the people who subdued the attacker. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. It, was well, he the guy that tackled the guy or was he part of a crew? Yeah. So one guy tackled. Well, I don't want to. There was three guys and he was one of the guys. Okay, so it wasn't just him. Like, he wasn't the one hero that jumped up out of the crowd and went after the guy and took Right, but he was in the front row. Okay. And, and when you're in the front row and you see all of a sudden a knife attack go on right in front of you, you have two choices. Like, you can, you can run or you can do something or you can sit there. And no one's yeah. going to sit there. And he, I imagine most people would sit there just so in shock, wondering if it was part of the performance or – but, I mean, that's a natural response for a lot of people is the freeze response. Yeah, fight, so flight, fight, freeze. fight, or freeze. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he picked fight, and and he's a he's an Olympian. He was Olympian for Canada. Huh. Okay. And mm-hmm. I bet that had a lot to do with his ability to act under pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Olympians take charge, kind of people. I like them. And so we yeah. we talked a lot about uh you know uh human performance and sure. how behavior gets created. It's it was it's really fascinating interview. It didn't go where I thought it would go. I think it's it's just way better. But a lot of this is right up your alley. I mean, so many different hats that you have worn or are you know, still currently wearing. So the body language aspect, but also the human performance aspect, mm-hmm. the athletic aspect. Yeah, we talk all about pieces. that. Yeah, how all mm-hmm. that ties together. So, yeah, uh, so yeah this is going to be a good one. It is. Absolutely. So let's um, let's get to Vince, shall we? Let's do that. Yeah, because we don't want to talk about me um, and dead bodies anymore. That's No, we've had enough of that. I don't know. I Don't think it's going to come back. It's going to keep it. coming back. It is. <laughs> okay. Let's go listen to Vince. All right. Bye. It's Tracy, and I have today what I know is going to be one of the most interesting interviews we've ever done here on Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. I have Vince Pacente with me, and we've just been barely acquainted because we're both keynote speakers uh, through the National Speakers Association, but... Um, Vince, you had a really 
interesting thing happened to you last summer, 2022. And when, um, well, you know what? I'm not even going to try to start. You you start, Vince. <laughs> Tell us what happened. Take put, put us right in the middle of it. Well, I was at a, uh, good to see you, Tracy. Uh, it, I was at a, in Chautauqua for a writer's conference, not a conference, there was happening to be a writer's event going on there, but uh, now I this is Chautauqua because we have a Chautauqua here in Boulder, and it's oh in, you do oh, oh. yeah mm-hmm. it's because there used to be a big system there was several of them around the country but the one in Boulder and the one in New York are the both two of the ones still kind of yeah. doing things so okay the so you were in lakes. New York you were in New York New York State just straight out of a Norman Rockwell painting I mean. <laughs> It's just absolutely a fairy tale, this whole area. Uh-huh. And um, and I was with uh, 13 other creatives, you know, filmmakers and writers and screenwriters and all that. And we were, somebody said, hey, did anybody want to see the Salman Rushdie speech um, later on in the week? And I went, well, I'll go. And I ended up being the only guy <clears throat> who took a ticket. Uh-huh. Therefore, I was the only person on the pontoon boat trying to navigate my way from where we were over to the the dock where this Chautauqua Institute is. Uh And I was a little bit uncertain of what was going to go down. So I ended up getting there early because everything worked out perfectly. Mm -hmm. And so I got in the front row and there was seats for maybe a couple thousand people. But I think there was really only about eleven hundred people there. Mm Anyway, I was in the front row, and um, at 10, about 45 in the morning, out walks uh, the moderator, uh, I think his name is Frank Reese, and then uh, Mr. Rushdie. And Mr. Reese and Rushdie sat down, and then the host got up to the podium, and not not a minute in, there was all these screams happening. Uh-huh. And he looked over, and somebody had jumped on stage, had uh, his face covered, and... Oh. Um, he was, it looked like, at first it looked like it was, a, it was just couldn't make sense of it. What was going on, like yeah. a prank or something, somebody demonstrating. Then it looked like he was punching Rushdie. And then, and what caught me was the sound of the knife uh, going in Mr. Rushdie. Oh. Uh, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was. <laughs> anyway, so Mr. Rushdie was being stabbed. And then um, it was obvious that this guy needed help. And, um, and and you've heard people say I did it without thinking. I was thinking the whole time because uh-huh. <laughs> I knew the guy had a knife, but I knew Rusty needed help. And so I jumped on stage and there was a man to my left and a man to my right. Right. And all three of us jumped on stage um, and then grabbed the attacker from behind uh-huh. and then and backwards and pinned him down. And then um, the police came over and handcuffed him. And then I just stood there and went, well, I guess I'm not needed anymore, which is fine. And I sat down and then they asked everybody to leave. And I thought it would be a bit of a gong show with uh, the media and all that. So Mm -hmm. I just decided just to leave. And I did stop and look to see if Mr. Reshti was okay because he was, he was being attended to by a few guests. And I think there was a number of physicians who are now in their retirement or whatever, (laughs) who were attending to him. One obviously on his neck, it was a little bit on the side of his neck. Uh-huh. And then, um, so he stabbed 15 times Oh, and, uh, in the eye, lost an eye, stabbed here. And it was very clinical the way I watched him being stabbed because it was, it was like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three. Like he did, he obviously had a plan of 
how he's going to stab so, him. So your memory is that vi- vivid of it. I mean, significant emotional events get kind of burned in your memory. But I, I'm curious, like, take us through, like, what was happening for you? Because uh, you thought it was a hoax and a prank. And it's easy to think that in yeah. situations like this. But, like, what were you what was going on for you? Well, what was going going on for me at the time was knowing that I didn't, I don't, I don't have any experience with stabbings. Okay. Mm-hmm. So number one, I was stepping into the uncertain, the unknown, mm-hmm. which was um, something I've had to think about a lot since then. How do we as athletes, you know, step into the unknown? Cause there's no certainty. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a landscape where you have to kind of fight for your position, but uh well, let's let, let, let's get into the athlete thing, because you skied in the Olympics in the 1992 Olympics speed skiing. Yeah. Um, awesome. <laughs> I love yeah. that. Yeah. So so that's where the athlete mind comes in. And, you know, I have one, too, because I rode for Team USA. And actually, um, I rode for Team USA in 92 as well. So. Um, oh, in Barcelona. No, um, I did not make the Olympic team. So I was <sighs> I was the part where they're like, eh. You're not going to yeah. go. <laughs> not everybody gets to go. Yeah, that's, yeah. I know. That sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It did, yes. You know what? It did suck. It really sucks. It um, hurts. You mm-hmm. spent your life working at it. I know. And then, uh, nope, you're not going. So anyway, okay. So that's where the mind is. Okay. So talk about like stepping into uncertainty. How does that relate to, you know, everything you've been thinking? Well, I, I'd be curious for you and I to have a conversation about this because the, the way I the way I framed it is it all stepping into uncertainty means you need confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you think about where confidence comes from, it comes from experience. Mm-hmm. Well, what if you don't have experience with a pandemic or um, a changing marketplace or AI, how it's going to take your job or yeah, a stabbing, huh? right? Mm-hmm. There's yeah. there's how do you have confidence without the experience? And I know that I distinctly thought I'll figure it out when I get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very aware of where the knife was and how he was holding it in his right hand and all that. So I was aware of all that. Um, but the brain, uh, I wrote a book called The Ant and the Elephant. Oh, I got one here. Mm-hmm. So The Ant and the Elephant. The ant is the metaphor for the conscious mind, the mm-hmm. elephant, the subconscious mind. There you go. Mm-hmm. And the ant is on the back of the elephant making decisions on direction. I know where I'm going. I'm going west, says the mm-hmm. ant. And so the ants marked to west. Well, what if the elephant is headed east, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so you think you're going west, but you end up east, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And, but how extraordinary would it be for an athlete or a salesperson or a parent mm-hmm. to have the ant and the elephant headed in the same direction? Uh, there's a guy, he was a sports psychologist uh, for the Oilers and the Canadian Olympic volleyball team, Dr. Lee Poulos. Oh, I don't know him. Yeah, he found that in a second of time, the conscious mind processes with 2,000 neurons, mm-hmm. while at the same time, the subconscious mind's processing with 4 billion neurons. Oh, yeah, I believe it. All right. So with 2,000 neurons consciously being aware mm-hmm. of how, what, in this stabbing, for example, I was aware that I didn't know what to do, but I would figure it out how I got there. Having an alignment of the subconscious mind goes back to when I pointed my skis downhill and went 135 miles an hour. I did a lot of, pre- as you did as an athlete, mm-hmm. you do a lot of preparation to have peak performance. You get to a point where you need things to go well. And I go back to uh, when I was t- 21 in Australia, my second shoot, I was parachuted uh, twice. And the second jump, 
the parachute didn't open, right? No. So, and it was alone. And uh, there was a whole emergency procedure that they nauseatingly made you go through, right? The jump master, his name is Grand Windsor, gets you up on these hay bales, very unsteady. And then you go red ring, extend, extend, meaning you put your left, right thumb in the red ring. When you extend that, that jettisons the main chute that's not working. When you take your other hand and grab that cable, you extend that, that allows the reserve chute to come out and deploy. Oh, okay. Right. And so when that morning, when he said, okay, this is the technique, red ring, extend, extend. And I said, okay, I got it. I was about to get off the, the hay bales. And he said, no, do it again. I was like, okay, red ring, extend, extend. I looked at him like, okay. And he said, no, do it again. I went, all right, red ring, extend, extend. It was uh-huh. just so academic. It was so right. simple that it seemed uh-huh. annoying. It was very, I was annoyed at the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. When I was plummeting towards the earth and my parachute was clearly not working, uh-huh. uh, what's the first thing I thought about? Was red ring, extend, extend, right? Mm-hmm. So preparation, no matter what the, is necessary, and I'm trying to correlate this to confidence in terms of how did you? How do you have confidence to be able to save your own life mm-hmm. when you're parachuting? And this is really the first or second time you've done it. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you jump on stage with somebody wielding a knife and and attempt to save that? And you know, you've seen uh, some of these mass shootings lately, or uh, people who are. I keep hearing people say, "Well, you just did it without thinking," and I go, mm-hmm. "No." I was thinking the whole time. I don't know what they're talking about when you do it without thinking. Do you know to run into a fire that's burning when you hear kids screaming? Mm-hmm. The commonality there was they need help, and I'm here to help. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm that's that's I have to help. That's what mm-hmm. I have to do. And so, but as I start to explore the whole concept of confidence, I think we're all dealing with this in to a degree because um, uh, just the rapid change. <laughs> that we're we're experiencing. Mm-hmm. I mean, as as we're recording this, Chat GPT came out what two months ago, right? Yeah. All oh, the histrionics and the the catastrophization of what the future and the robots are going to take over, where <laughs> nobody's going to have jobs and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, you know, how, how do you have confidence with such a, a, a an insidious or unsettling headwind like that right well okay so let's let's talk about this so you're you're kind of a good size guy right um like how, how tall are you five ten five ten right so good size like you're sturdy right yeah. and so how how big was this guy because you 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 like what's the decision process you're like yep i should go up there uh it was um I don't know. He had the knife. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not a fighter. I'm more of a lover. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so for me to jump into a fight where somebody's wielding a knife is just uh, not exactly in my uh, DNA. But uh-huh. uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, if, if somebody needs help, I'm going to help them. Uh-huh. Yeah. And how how big was the guy with the knife? He wasn't very big at all. He was maybe five eight, five, seven, okay. and a kind of slender, mm-hmm. younger guy, mm-hmm. he shaved his head, he shaved, you know, um, I know, I remember his head being bald because, but he wasn't a, a young bald person. I mean, mm-hmm. he was shaved his head. But yeah. Uh, when I pinned him down, um, 
I remember the back of his head. It wasn't a very big guy. It was pretty easy to hold down. Uh-huh. He was struggling, though. He was trying to get the knife free and trying to cause damage with uh-huh. whoever was around him. So what did, you, did you grab the back of his collar or like what? Yeah. 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 So um, I'm still I can I'm still pretty sturdy and, and uh, strong. And um, so when I grabbed his collar, the guy on my left and the guy on my right who were grabbing arms and trying to pin him down, mm-hmm. we eventually got him on the ground on the stage mm-hmm. quite quickly. And then I decided to pull him away from Rushdie, who was laying opposite uh-huh. and other people were attending to him. So this is all happening within two seconds, one yeah. second. Yeah. But I grabbed his collar and as I was pulling him, I realized I was pulling him out from underneath everybody that was trying to pin him down. Oh. So I stopped pulling him after maybe a, a foot or two. And uh-huh. then um, and then we just pinned him down and rolled mm-hmm. him on his face. Mm-hmm. So Wow. Okay. So then since you're unpacking this confidence uh, thought, like rushing into something you've never done before, maybe won't ever do again. Like what's the, what, where have you landed on Uh, your analysis? Well, I've written eight books and I think this might be my ninth one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because there's in the past, We've had plenty of runway. I'm going to start a business, for example. I'm going to start a business. And uh, in the past, we would have had maybe a year or two runway to be able to figure it out and just get it to work, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think we have runway anymore. I don't think we have the luxury of time and being able to – because every athlete, every musician, every salesperson Mm -hmm. will tell you that – you get a certain amount of skill level and then the rest is confidence. Mm -hmm. And if you ask most people, let me ask you right now, what percentage of your skill versus confidence was necessary to do well in a race? Right. It's all confidence. Yeah. Right. Right. It's, I would say it's 20% and 80% because you had skill that you built up over the years, but everybody had the same level of skill at your level. Right. So Sometimes it's just freaking luck, right? right? But confidence is such a massive uh, uh, mechanism for creating peak performance. A musician cannot play with these fingers and mm-hmm. play with these fingers and remember a song and know what to do with their face. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, there is so much confidence necessary to do that well. Like, in, mm-hmm. it's easy to be a bad singer it's easy to be a bad musician yeah um but uh go to a karaoke thing and watch somebody with very little skill but supreme confidence that'll be just flat out entertaining right yeah yeah that's pretty fun that's the whole point of karaoke so right so so back to this situation though like did was part of you like i should get out of here like i should run or was it just instantaneous No. no Uh, well, no, once I realized he was being stabbed, it was almost instantaneous for three of us to jump on stage. I mean, I remember heading up on stage and seeing in my peripheral vision, two other guys doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. So when we got to the attacker, we got to him about the same time. Uh And since I was in the middle, I was able to grab his collar and yank him back. Mm -hmm. And the other two guys were trying to pin down the knife. And then some, some military guy showed up because one of the guys on my right was pulled off if you look at the videos uh-huh. after i didn't i was focused on the guy but apparently the guy on my right was a little bit 
uncertain what to do because that's oh. where the knife was. Uh-huh. And I believe the guy that replaced him was military or 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 police or but retired maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He seemed to be about my age, uh-huh. and uh, he knew exactly. He's we have to we have to um, disable. We have to pin the knife. No, you see, I, we have to pin the knife. Pin the knife. Mm-hmm. So he was using terminology. I went, well, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, so so um, I had a great question. <laughs> well, you know, I, the, the little backstory on Salman Rushdie is mm-hmm. he, you know, in the late 80s, he wrote a book called his fourth book called Satanic Verses. Satanic and, Verses. Yes. Yeah. And he depicted Muhammad and that sent uh the Ayatollah Khomeini over the edge and mm-hmm. uh, he created a firestorm, created, put out what's called a fatwa, F-A-T-W-A, mm-hmm. which was basically a bounty on Rusty's head for, I think, $3 million. Oh, that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. And uh, but that was in the late 80s. So this guy has been under threat of assassination for decades. Um, and it just happened to be in a Norman Rockwell setting. <laughs> Yeah. Which was so bizarre. Like nothing about this was, other than the fact it was Solomon Rushdie and he was under some sort of international fatwa to uh-huh. be uh, assassinated by uh-huh. any of his, the Ayatollah's uh, followers. So, uh-huh. now, uh, before we hit record, uh, there was a, you mentioned, and I saw it this morning when I was scrolling through the news. Uh, what was it? The uh, New York Magazine? Uh, the New Yorker, yeah. The New Yorker. Did they interview some of the other guys that were up on stage with you? Uh, or... The only other person they interviewed was uh, Mr. Reese, who was the moderator. Mm-hmm. And he got uh, cut uh, on stage. And if you read the article, you would go like Reese had, had helped take down the attacker. And I said, oh, I didn't know that. Because if he did help take him down, he would have been at his feet, at the mm-hmm. attacker's feet. Um, right. But the, Mr. Reese is in his 70s. You know, they were a couple of old guys that got on stage. Uh-huh. And so and the young guy that jumped up, I mean, it was um, it was not a fair fight. That's for sure. Right. Wow. OK, so then how has this affected you? Like personally, like any like are you in in the world differently now? Like what's what's gone on for you? What went on immediately was a, uh, which I've now learned is PTSD mm-hmm. from not just the event, but I, I have, um, everybody has senses that are better than others. My senses, I can hear things. I, I just hear music differently. I just have a great ear. And, I'm that way uh, too. My husband says I have supersonic hearing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what I mean? You could just hear things. You go to a concert, you say, did you hear what the bass player just did? It was like, yeah. what? Uh-huh. I mean, the guy on the right, they're like, no, the bass, what are you talking about? Uh-huh. So anyway, yeah, yeah. I, and the sound made my throat constrict. Like, like I would bring up the story for a week or so after, and I could barely talk about it because it was so traumatic, you know? Yeah. And to have gone through uh, that that kind of PTSD uh a person uh, i immediately got a call like from a buddy who's a fire uh fire chief and he's just he just got on the phone with me and he, he just said hey you're gonna experience this you're gonna experience this you gotta talk to people and uh which was helpful the thing that really made a difference I, have you ever heard of something called emdr yeah mm-hmm. so there's a version of it which is called art mm-hmm. and um 
ART is similar to EMDR. And this woman ran me through, I don't even remember her name, Stephanie something in Phoenix. And she did the, the EMDR where she, she had me run through the store and she had me follow her finger yeah. back and forth on the screen mm-hmm. and uh, had me run through the story again. And now how does that feel? And then she did it again. Yeah. And then at the end of the one time, one treatment, she said, how do you feel about the sound now or the, the experience? And I went, actually, I feel fine. I mean, mm-hmm. it, I couldn't share the story without getting choked up before. And now it's just uh, just like a, an episode, almost like you, I read it in a book and uh, it, it doesn't um, create any kind of trauma. Uh-huh. Um, wow. Well, that's that's pretty cool. Because, um, I mean, how, how long did it take you to figure out, yeah, I need help? I mean, because your buddy called, but then were you kind of like, ah, I'm too, I'm better. I'm a, yeah, no, I'm a, yeah, I'm a tough. That's what I would have done. Yeah, like, I was doing that. People say, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. Uh-huh. And then why don't you talk about it? I was like. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my so gosh. I did sit down with a, a counselor. There was people that that reached out and say, no, you, and maybe they know my, my, my profile or my DNA uh-huh. Just being a, you know, I can handle this. I'm a guy, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah. So it those conversations helped, but the ART was the it was just it just worked. Uh huh. No. And how long did it take you to land there? Oh no, that, that was after about four weeks. Oh really? That quick? Yeah. Set in yeah. that quick? Yeah. Um. So okay. So this whole thing happened. You sit, did you sit back down in the front row and then they told you to leave? I mean, what, yeah. how do you, how, yeah. well, like, that's okay, the most let's... bizarre thing about it. This, you know, Tracy, it was such, everything about this was so bizarre. There's blood everywhere. There's yeah. blood all over the stage. And I, I, the cop had handcuffed him. And one of the military guys that, that ended up being on my right, he ended up, you'll see in photos and videos, him helping the cop escort this guy out. So he, he was something. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, when they asked everybody, all a thousand of us to leave, because we're all just sitting there going, what the hell? Mm-hmm. And um, they said, uh, you know, we're, we've got to allow the medical team to get here and we'd like everybody to leave quietly. And and I sat there knowing I was intimately involved in this, mm-hmm. but there were a thousand um, witnesses. And yeah. did they really need my hanging around and maybe I could have had a microphone pushed in my face and said, what was it like? And uh-huh. you know, all this, but uh, I decided to go back to the pontoon boat and it was a beautiful finger lakes day. The sun, it was still like, a, hadn't even hit noon yet. Uh-huh. Came across the lake. It was about a half hour drive. And that, that was almost therapeutic in a way, because I was able to do something and be in nature and mm-hmm. as the wind uh, from the pontoon boat, and I was going back to where our dock was, uh, was cathartic and a little bit cathartic. It was so traumatic. Yeah. It was such a, um, I guess it was good medicine for that moment. And then coming in, um, the scene was this house that housed 14 people. It was a big mansion mm-hmm. on Lake Chautauqua. And everybody's buzzing around as you're with all these other creatives and they're just joking around. And two of them were writers for the Carson show, you know, or one guy was a writer for Seinfeld. So there was these, these very emotionally intelligent people in this room. Uh And, uh, 
And I just stood at the doorway and everybody's like, uh, one guy turned to me and said, Vince, you're back. How did it go? And I just, I, how do you explain what just happened? I said, uh-huh. I, I, Solomon Rushdie was stabbed and I got on stage and, and grabbed the attacker. Uh-huh. And the first guy that met me, he just went, what? And then he said, hey, 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 you got everybody's attention. Then I was able to repeat that to everybody. And they were just in shock. Yeah. Um, and there was a very interesting thing that happened in that hour that we were mm-hmm. just kind of debriefing it together, you know, hugs or whatever. Yeah. Just, you know, sympathy, empathy, sympathy, whatever. Mm-hmm. Was a, about four of the people there are comedians, like comedians that did stand up on Carson, that were... Yeah present day comedians or comedy writers and john one of the guys he goes yeah and this is this is like 10 minutes after 15 minutes after i'd said there but he says man i am so i thought of going but i'm so glad i didn't because while you were jumping on stage saving saving solomon rushdie I would have been screaming like a sissy running the other way. Right. <laughs> and it busted everybody up and it ended up being humor, <clears throat> like the concept of too soon, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't too soon to not make fun of the situation, but to, um, it was okay to laugh. It was mm-hmm. okay to have joy in, in a moment of tragedy. Um, I don't know if I'm explaining that right, but yeah. Uh, when the, when the World Trade Center was taken down, Saturday Night Live, obviously their, first, their season opener, I think, would have been happening two weeks from then. And the big question was, should it go on? Should this comedy show that's based in New York go on after the World Trade Center mm-hmm. hours had come down and all this? And uh, if you haven't seen it, it's very revealing because... The mayor of New York at the time stands up and goes uh, with Lorne Michaels there, and they're all around with firefighters behind them. And um, and uh, Lorne Michaels turns to the mayor of New York and said, "Can we be funny?" And uh, the mayor the mayor said, "Yeah." The mayor said to Lorne Michaels said to the mayor, "Can we be funny?" And the mayor said, uh, "Well." Why start now? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, or something like, like uh-huh. you, you guys aren't funny in the first place, or something. Right, like that. right. <laughs> and uh, it, it, it was it was this inflection point, mm-hmm. this inflection point of being able to to take this tragedy and um, have a human experience through through the whole thing. It's mm-hmm. part of this is um, us connecting, whatever way is possible. Like humor is one of them. So. Mm-hmm. So then what's, what's different about you now or how, how, like when you're out in the world, are you, are you more on guard? Are you kind of like, I can handle anything I got, you know, like what's where, how, how do you. A little bit of all of that, right. Uh I'll go into a theater and go, well, I'm going to sit on the aisle Mm -hmm. and if shit's going down, I'm going to (laughs) help because I know how I've got experience. And Uh no, um, the, also the, um, being on guard is, is one thing, but also, you know what? The, that, that story about the parachute when it didn't open, mm-hmm. after I basically went through the emergency procedures, the reserve chute comes out and all that, 
from that moment on at 21 years old, I knew I could handle pressure. Mm -hmm. So moments like this was for me, it was an affirmation. I can handle pressure, right? Mm -hmm. So if something's coming at you and you have no experience with handling pressure, then how could you, how could you have confidence? Like, you know, that saying, fake it till you make it. Yeah. Not a fan. I don't, I don't believe in fake it till you make it. Uh, but I also am a fan of engaging and stepping into uncertainty mm-hmm. uh, with authenticity, right? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't know how to stop a, we- a man with a knife, mm-hmm. but I knew that I had the um, ability to help from the outside. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that the answer to your question, I, it just reinforced that part of my DNA where I, I know I can help. Mm -hmm. Wow. Now, what else are you doing differently now? Anything? Not much. Uh, Just uh, looking at the next book, I just stepped Uh into a new business opportunity that uh, others might think that I was crazy. What do you you got? What do you got? Well, uh, it's uh, something called board developer. And uh, so I'm helping uh, small, medium sized companies develop their boards for the first time. And uh, I've been giving speech. You know what it's like when you give a speech at an event, you it's, it's like skimming across the white caps, you know, you're, you're only visiting for a short period of time. They pay Mm -hmm. a lot of money and then you leave. Yeah. And uh, So there's no depth to that. And I've uh, made a decision um, over the summer. I guess it is concurrent to that. Funny enough. Funny you answer that, ask that question. It's because, about the same time I made a decision to go deeper in a company than rather just skim across the white caps. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay, cool. So tell us about um, like your favorite book you've written and what's coming next. All right. Well, don't tell the other books. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Ant and the Elephant is my favorite because uh-huh. it introduces the concept of your aligning your intention, your conscious mind with your uh-huh. subconscious agenda. But I, this came out um, exactly a year ago. Mm-hmm. It's called The Earthquake. And it is a sequel to The Ant and the Elephant. Well, I've got okay. the poster behind me. Oh, there um, it is. Okay. Yeah. Is uh, The Earthquake, the opening line of this book is there's no linear way out of chaos. Oh, interesting. Okay. Somewhat, somewhat the- thematic of what why we're talking and how yeah, we're talking yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, if there's no linear way out of chaos, what is the way, right? And as an author, how are you going to write a whole book about something that, where are the universal truths? Mm-hmm. Where somebody goes through a personal earthquake, let's say somebody loses a child, right? Mm-hmm. And over here, somebody goes through bankruptcy. And over here, somebody goes through divorce. And over here, somebody goes through um, losing both their arms. Mm-hmm. You know, they've gone through a personal earthquake. What are the universal truths that would be a summary of the solutions for everybody going through an earthquake? Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did in the, this book. And it follows the same theme as the ant and the elephant. It's a parable. Mm-hmm. So the oh, ant cool. and the elephant go through an earthquake. The mm-hmm. ant and the elephant all of a sudden realize what got you here is not going to get you there. The ant and the elephant go, wait a minute, my conscious mind, I've been, I've been through stuff. I've gone through downturns in the economy. I've saved myself in a parachute, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got myself to the Olympics. But I, I couldn't, and I went through a personal earthquake at the time, which was financial. 
after 2008, 2009, 2010, I mean, right in 2007, I made two massive investments mm-hmm. way out of my comfort zone, but I had confidence, right? Mm-hmm. right. I had uh, maybe too much because they both cratered at the exact same time. Oh, yikes. And the, the hole that I created financially for my family, mm-hmm. I, I was mystified. I just couldn't. If, how is it a guy that figured out how to get to the Olympic Games in four years can't fi- figure out how to get out of a financial mess? Uh-huh. Right? And um, it took me it took me seven years to write the earthquake because I didn't have that universal solution. I didn't have what it took. So that exploration of being able to supersede. Mm-hmm. Uh, an earthquake of that magnitude of, and you know, we're, as we're speaking yesterday or the day before Turkey just had some. Yeah, they did. Syria. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And guess what happens after an earthquake, the aftershocks, Mm -hmm. that's where thousands of people died um, in the aftershocks. Um, And um, when you have your own personal earthquake, you're going to experience these aftershocks that are so debilitating that can put someone in the state of, uh, a catatonic state where you mm-hmm. just can't, you're paralyzed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't move and you don't know what to do and you don't know which way to turn. And then there's this insidious vortex of things getting worse. And then when they get worse, it gets worse. And when it gets worse, it gets worse. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that, that might be my favorite book. Cause I, it's a story. Mm-hmm. So the purpose of, my writing in, in the earthquake and the ant and the elephant was to make it a page turner. Like I, mm-hmm. I wanted it to be a standalone story that you go, then what happened? Then what happened mm-hmm. as a parable, a good parable should do, but also had the underpinning of this universal truth of how do we recover from earthquakes? Uh, our personal earthquakes that have paralyzed us. How do we, mm-hmm. how do I get out of this feeling of divorce and not feeling loved and not being able to, you know, ever be in a relationship again and not trusting the other, the other gender or whatever the, mm-hmm. the narrative is. And um, it ended up being a relationship between the ant and the elephant, not, um, okay, how do I put this? It, let's say you and I are driving the same, the same vehicle. Mm-hmm. We're in the same vehicle. The ant and the elephant are in the same vehicle, which is mm-hmm. your, your, head, your body. And let's say you have a steering wheel and I have a steering wheel, right? Mm-hmm. How's that going to work for our, out for us, right? It doesn't work. We, are, we have a relationship and, and the thought is, well, I'll drive and you just, you just sit there, right? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. no, because the subconscious mind has patterns of beliefs mm-hmm. and whatever, and it's going to go in a direction it feels like intuitively it needs to be, mm-hmm. which is fear and hurt and pain and all those things that have happened because of the earthquake. The conscious mind, the ant, it also has a steering wheel and is, is driving, trying to drive this thing. And it's under the illusion. What got me here is, is going to help me get there. Well, that's mm-hmm. not the case. Right. And so it's a, it's a, what I call in the book, the solution loop and how the relationship between your conscious and subconscious mind and sub meaning below mm-hmm. consciousness, like what is going on there? So how does this relationship uh, not just function, but thrive? after mm-hmm. being in the state of, of paralysis, if you will, or feeling stuck. So then what's the universal truth? Cause it sounds like you kind of went through that with the whole 
yeah. at least in a micro thing with the yeah. Salman Rushdie thing. Like, what is well, it? I'll, I'll save you 20 bucks. You don't have to buy the earthquake. Here you go. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> so uh, so the, this, I call it the solution loop. And it starts with uh, basically what I call grasp the contradiction. Mm-hmm. But grasping the contradiction between what the conscious mind is thinking and the subconscious mind, because that misalignment, that discord yep. is never going to work. So mm-hmm. first you have to grasp that. Once you grasp that contradiction, then the second part of the solution loop is to seek the alignment, meaning, mm-hmm. well, what would be an aligned way for both to get in, in sync here? And sometimes uh, that's just getting out of bed in the morning. Right? Yeah. <laughs> sometimes that's just <laughs> yeah. that, it's some of those smaller steps up front. Mm-hmm. The, the, the third piece is to be curious and mm-hmm. Curiosity, there is an infinite number of possibilities, an infinite number of ways that we can um, resolve this, but we don't know what could work because this is going to be new to us, right? Um, Those people in Turkey who have never been through an earthquake before Mm -hmm. are going to have to figure out, be curious about, well, what do I do now? I've lost Mm -hmm. my business. I've lost this. What, what, so and then creativity kicks in and being able to be creative in terms of, well, of all those things I was curious about, how creative could I be in terms of which thing could possibly have traction? Mm-hmm. Then the next part of the solution loop is to put your best guess into action. Mm-hmm. And if that action has any sort of traction, it's like a flywheel. It will start to manifest mm-hmm. some results. Uh, chances are that this, if nothing catches, this idea you had is not going to work. Um, shoot, uh, my example, trying to get out of this personal financial earthquake, I started a company called Radical Safety, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was actually a very good idea. It still is. It was radical is the, is the antonym to um, conventional. Mm-hmm. And the safety world, a trillion-dollar industry, <laughs> of trying to keep people safe at companies, corporations, supply chain, all that. Yeah, I speak in safety a lot. Yeah, okay, well then you know exactly what I'm talking about. So in the safety world, uh, they have got something called behavioral change, right? Mm -hmm. If you have behavioral change, people will be safer. Mm -hmm. And uh, who are all the people involved in the safety protocol? And they are engineers. (laughs) These engineers, and our PhDs are making decisions in a very pragmatic way mm-hmm. to have behavioral change as an athlete mm-hmm. is the baseline. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to do well in sports, it's not behavior that's going to help you win. It's peak performance that will help you win. Sure. Mm-hmm. When there is peak performance, people will, uh, perform at a higher level mm-hmm. and then safety ends up being second nature rather than, are you behaving this way? Did you take the safety training? Mm -hmm. All that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, pretty good business concept. I was selling peak performance to people that were were absolutely committed to behavioral change. And I couldn't, I could, it's still a good idea. I just never. Well, yeah, I did peak performance for a long time. Um, One-on-one with clients. I had clients in the Super Bowl and World Series and all sorts of things. And and you try to translate that to the regular world, 
<laughs> to civilians as I call it. People don't want peak performance. It's the most baffling thing ever. It's like they just want to muddle through. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like it's <laughs> so it so I speak on body crazy. language now, right? So <laughs> right. I get it. So there's an example of that solution loop. I mm-hmm. you know, I you know, it's you know, there was a things got worse. I did made a few mistakes in my speaking business. I lowered my feet, by the way. That's mm-hmm. a big mistake to do. And because when the economy turned south, I went, well, I'll do it for half off. Well, guess what the market thought. The market thought that I wasn't worth as much. And I was mm-hmm. like, no, I lowered the fee to help the corporation. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so I I basically squelched any momentum that I had leading up to 2008. And then t- tried radical safety because I thought I got curious and then creative. And then what about radical? And then I thought, why well, radical safety? And then apply and then put these all these videos together and all these solutions together. And the market just went, what? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So it doesn't always work. I mean, it doesn't work. There was a, a couple of years of trying to make that actually make it fit. And um, and then another thing, and another thing, this board developer thing um, is really exciting because I, I mean, it's just, I, that's all that's I came from four meetings today uh-huh. um, with uh, people that want to be on boards or companies that want to create a board for themselves. And um, it's, it's I'm going to be able to marry people that have been at 10x. Mm-hmm. And this company is at X and they want to be able to make it all happen. And we're basically a, a general contractor for the board experience. Like mm-hmm. how many small to mid-sized companies have experience with a board that they don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the people that were on their board is somebody they met organically along the way. Mm-hmm. We can fit perfect people. We got like 400 people on our bench and, um, and they're heavyweights. They can. Wow. Do. So okay. it's a, uh, that sounds super cool. I like it. I like it. Okay. So how can people get a hold of you? Like if they're interested in the board thing or to have you speak or. I'm pretty easy to find if you know how to spell my name. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's in the so show notes. Pacente. Vincepacente.com will get you there. Now info at Vincepacente.com for those of the, those old school people that want to track me down. You can find me on LinkedIn too, pretty easily too. Mm-hmm. All my information is there. I'm not, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to be elusive here. It's it's my cell phone's there. It's easy. I'm easy to get a hold of. So the whole thing. Well, cool. Well, Vince, thank you so much for coming on the show today on Truth Lies and Cover Ups. I love it, Tracy. You do a great job. This has been a fun conversation. Sorry, it's over. Oh. <laughs> it has to be over sometime. Oh. <laughs> no tears. No tears. I know. Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.